Hey, howdy, space nerds. As you know, this podcast is supported by you, the listener, and we've got a great way for you to show your support. Why not pick up the Are We There Yet mission patch? You can wear it with pride and let people know you're a space geek just like me. You can pick up one of those by visiting WMFE.org slash patch. The contribution goes straight to this podcast, so thanks for your support. All right, on to the show. From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, Are We There Yet? I'm Brendan Byrne. A spacecraft is about to launch on a mission to the sun, coming closer than any other spacecraft has ever come before and zooming through the solar system with mind-boggling speed. The Parker Solar Probe is being sent to our star to study its corona. Scientists hope that they can uncover some of the mysteries of the corona and help better predict space weather. And because we probably won't get to any other stars anytime soon, Scientists say they'll use the data from the mission to better understand the other stars in our universe. Parker launches from Kennedy Space Center later this month, very, very early, might I add, on a ULA Delta IV Heavy. Ahead of that launch, I checked in with NASA heliophysicist Dr. Alex Young. Well, Dr. Young, thank you so much for speaking with us. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. So the Parker Solar Probe will be, it's going to be going closer to the sun than any other spacecraft has before. How is it going to get there? Um, Well, the mission is going to be launching from NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida, and it will be launched on a Delta Heavy with an upper stage. So um, this is really a a deep space mission in many ways, even though we're going to the center of the solar system. And it's going to be going pretty fast, right? Right. Almost half a million miles an hour. So, you know, 400 uh, or over 400,000 miles per hour, which is just an, an insanely fast speed. A common timing people have liked to throw around is that going from Washington, D.C. to Philadelphia in one second. That's just a, that's mind bogglingly fast. Mi- it's mind boggling <laughs> fast. Yeah, it's just crazy. So and what what's the, the route to get there? Um the spacecraft isn't going straight to the sun, right? It's no, because um, you know, unfortunately, we're we're stuck with good old gravity and Newton's laws, and and because of that, we can't just go straight to the sun. It would re- require way too much energy. We have to create another orbit. We have to leave the orbit of the Earth and create uh, a new orbit, and we're going to have to use Venus to help us out. So we sort of gradually walk our way towards the sun. Uh, fine-tuning the orbit, uh, we have 24 flybys, you know, with the farthest distance, you know, near Venus, the closest approach to the sun, getting closer and closer and closer, using Venus every time, and in fact, imparting energy to Venus to change our orbit in order to, to make that new orbit around the sun. And that's kind of why there's a um, a two week launch window, right? Is because you've you've got to get the orbits of Earth and and Venus lined up just right uh, before you launch, right? Exactly, exactly. Because in many ways, as I mentioned, this is this is a planetary mission in the sense that we have to do a lot of the same sorts of things. I mean, you know, traditionally a lot of missions are orbiting the Earth, and this one's not. We have to get out of the Earth's orbit. We have to. Um, get ourselves in a, in a unique new orbit, and we're 
we're under the constraints that are typical constraints for a planetary mission, even something like you know going to a flyby of Pluto with New Horizons. And so that's what limits our our uh, launch window is where the planets are in the solar system and in relation to the Earth and the Sun. Now, talk about some of the conditions that the Parker Solar Probe will face um, when it's making some of those close approaches to the Sun. I I would imagine it's going to be quite warm, right? It is. uh, The environment is incredibly harsh. It's pretty crazy. So we're flying into the corona. Now, people may, you know, one of the things is we're, we're, we're our goal scientifically is to understand, one of the goals is to understand why the corona is so hot. You know, the surface of the sun is about 10,000 degrees. The corona can be upwards of several million degrees. But that's actually not the issue here. It's not the, the temperature of the corona. It's the radiation because the corona itself is in, incredibly thin. That is, there are only a few particles uh, in any given area of space. And so there's not a lot of particles to convey that that energy to you. So what's actually conveying all the energy to the spacecraft is the radiation mm-hmm. from the sun. So the front of the spacecraft is going to be experiencing temperatures around 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit, which is just an incredibly high temperature, mm-hmm. much higher than most of the materials and elements that we have here on Earth. And so it's required quite an engineering feat, both in terms of material science to develop the shield, which is layers of carbon foam and and carbon fiber. It's roughly four and a half inches thick. On the front of the spacecraft, it's also coated with a special white, material to reflect as much sunlight as possible. But then, in addition, it has uh, an extremely sophisticated liquid cooling system because it has to dissipate that heat that builds up. It has to get it away from the spacecraft. Surprisingly, it uses about a gallon of water, you know? So it's not even, you know, it's not even anything exotic in that mm-hmm. sense. But the engineering behind the cooling system the piping and how that cooling and radiator works, that is extremely advanced and something that's, you know, required the skills of some really clever people. And so those two things combined give us this crazy environment behind the shield where it's roughly, you know, room temperature. It's a little bit of a, a, a warm room, but it's basically room temperature back where those instruments are. That's crazy. That's really cool. So what are what are some of the instruments that are on the Parker probe? Um, and, and what are some of the things that, that you're hoping to, to learn from this mission? The probe itself, um, the, the overall mission has kind of three main goals. So those goals are to understand why the corona is so hot as I mentioned, uh, it, you know, the surface of the sun, uh, the temperature quickly rises just over a few thousand kilometers from tens of thousands of degrees to millions of degrees. So we want to understand why that is. And we, we have some understanding, some knowledge, but we don't really know the exact theory. So uh, we need to be there up close and personal. The other thing we, we want to find out is how the solar wind itself is accelerated. So... The sun has this 
uh, breeze, so to speak, of material flowing out. And then very quickly in the corona, it accelerates to several million miles an hour and streams away from the sun carrying these particles and magnetic field filling the space in, you know in the solar system mm-hmm. and then lastly we want to understand how solar energetic particles are energized in in the corona and these are blasts of relativistic particles which come from solar activity and those particles interact with our spacecraft and oftentimes in a bad way, causing problems with electronics. They also uh, create a hostile environment for astronauts in space, both around the Earth and, and certainly traveling to places like the Moon and Mars. So those are sort of the three main uh, main things that we're trying to figure out with Parker Solar Probe. And so we have a collection of different types of instrumentation to allow us to do that. So we have an instrument that looks at the solar wind, measuring the solar wind directly, the solar wind electrons in particular. Uh, We also have booms or sort of long antennas to measure fields, electric and magnetic fields, uh, because this environment around the sun is not only full of, of particles, but it's it's a sea of electric and magnetic fields. Mm-hmm. And then we also have particles, t- we have particle detectors, which measure uh, low and high energy solar particles. And then we have what's called a coronal white light imager. In this case, it's a uh, something called a heliospheric imager, a design which was um, probably most famous from the stereo spacecraft. And it's a a wide field view on the side of the spacecraft that is very, very sensitive to white light, to the, the light that's created by the photospheric light, the visible light from the surface of the sun scattering off of electrons in the corona. And so we're able to visually see material streaming away from the sun using these uh, special uh, imagers which have what are called baffles which block out the bright, bright disk of the sun allowing us to see this faint corona. Because in fact the corona is um, many hundreds of thousands of times fainter than the disk of the the sun. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of those together are giving us you know, this broad view of both the the fields, the particles, the flowing solar wind, uh, and l- allowing us to measure all of this up close, because for years we've been studying this with imagers from both near-Earth orbit and from places like the L1 Lagrange point with SOHO or the stereo spacecraft, which are orbiting and, and basically similar orbits to the Earth, but on other locations around the sun. But we've been doing all these observations from a distance. And all of this activity and all of these particles and magnetic fields in the corona are what drives all of space weather, solar flares, coronal mass ejections, those energetic particles. All of this energy and material that fills our solar system and creates this crazy environment that interacts with our technology, with our planets, and other objects in the solar system, all of that happens in this region where we're 
we're diving into with Parker Solar Probe. And that really does have an impact here on Earth, right? I mean, these solar events uh, can affect some things on Earth. Can you kind of explain how it would hurt, you know, our everyday lives down here? Absolutely. So the most, there actually is one aspect of space weather that people are probably most familiar with, and it's the the more pleasant, the the beautiful side, and that's the aurora. So the mm. northern and southern lights. Those are created as particles built up in the Earth's magnet, magnetic fields stream into the north and south pole, interacting with the atmosphere, giving us all these beautiful colors. And so those result from, they, they uh, enter our atmosphere because of energy that's flowing in from all of this space weather. But as I mentioned, all of this phenomena is basically electromagnetic. And so in that sense, it is interacting with our technology, which is electromagnetic. Um, so it directly impacts our spacecraft through different mechanisms. It can cause electrical charging on spacecraft, can damage uh, the solar cells on spacecraft. It can even damage the electronics directly, these energetic particles. And these could be like a, a GPS satellite, right, that, that right. we rely and on exactly. to get us from A to B. A, a GPS satellite, uh, a, you know, a television satellite we've lost Telstar, some of the Telstars in the past, mm -hmm. um, other types of communication satellites, weather satellites, all of these things are susceptible to that. So that's certainly critical. And as I mentioned, it creates a very hostile environment for people in space, and that's, that's important. But the other thing that happens is all of this energy, both from the solar flares, which are just basically light, huge flashes of light, they heat up the outer atmosphere, cause it to expand, and that creates drag on spacecraft, on satellites. And so that's another danger to those. But also, both the, the light and the particles that are flowing into the upper atmosphere change the properties of the atmosphere. So the outer atmosphere is called the ionosphere. And this is actually not a typical gas, but an electrified gas, an ionized gas. And we send our communication signals either through some of them, either through the ionosphere, like when we're communicating to a GPS satellite, or for things like high frequency and shortwave radio, we actually are able to communicate around the Earth by using the ionosphere to bend those signals around the Earth and basically go and in, in not in a straight line. But when all of this space weather impacts that part of the atmosphere, it changes it. And so certain signals no longer travel around the Earth, or they no longer travel through the atmosphere. Um, and that's extremely important. These are frequencies that are used by the military, aviation, navigation, um, and then of course, disrupting the accuracy of GPS impacts you and I directly. It impacts the devices that we use for GPS. So mm -hmm. there are lots of aspects of society that are dependent on that. And then lastly, when these storms are strong enough, you know, part of what's happening, part of what's driving all of those particles into the atmosphere are electrical currents that are created when this giant blob of solar material and magnetic field interacts with the Earth's magnetic field that generates electrical currents in the upper atmosphere. And then typically those currents um, actually flow into the ground. They're, they're ground currents. But the problem is 
when current flows, it flows through the, the path of least resistance. And one of those paths can be large conductors that we have put across the earth. Those, for example, would be long transmission lines for power systems or even pipelines. And so when the currents are strong enough and they end up directing themselves through uh, transmission lines, that current can overwhelm power grids. And, and that means that there's the possibility of having a blackout. Mm -hmm. So it could really um, impact our, our, our daily lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and even when the electrical currents travel through pipelines, that actually increases erosion. So pipe pipelines, when you have a a pipe and currents going through it, it actually erodes faster. So mm. that can ultimately, over a long time period, damage pipelines. Now, what about for the, the heliophysics community? I mean, this will be the first time, you know, scientists are getting an up-close look at any star, right? I mean, right. What, what, can we, what can we learn from, from our sun that we can apply to, to other stars out there? Well, um, you know, depending on the, the you know, the the, the type of star, depending on how big it is, how old it is, or young it is, stars have very, very similar features to the sun. They, they, um, you know, they're they're all nuclear furnaces, and energy flows out in a very similar way. So they have similar structures. Coronas, they produce their own types of space weather. So what we learn from our star tells us really about all stars. Because all of the fundamental physics that's happening in our star is happening to some degree in other stars. And we are not going to be able to look at other stars with the kind of detail, the kind of, um, the kind of resolution that we are looking at with our star. So it is the laboratory. Our sun is the laboratory for all the other stars in the universe. Um, and that's a pretty exciting prospect that we've already learned a lot about it, but the fact that we're going to get get to go there personally, to touch it up close and personal and make these measurements means that we are not only opening up our eyes about our own star, but all the other stars in the universe. Can you kind of explain where the spacecraft got its name? Absolutely. So I don't know the you know how this started, but the typical policy for NASA is that when they launch a new mission, it has a different name. In this case, it was Solar Probe Plus. And then once it's uh, launched, and sometimes before it's launched, they decide on a name from a famous scientist. Um, or in the case of the James Webb, that was the, the one of the first NASA administrators to name that spacecraft. But these are all people that have deceased. So this is the first time we're naming a spacecraft after someone who's still alive. And the person that this spacecraft is being named after is Eugene Parker. So Eugene Parker is uh, a heliophysicist who is, for as long as I know, was is at who's always been at the um, University of Chicago. And he, you know, was somewhat of a contemporary of people like uh, Chandrasekhar. Um, I think he was a young scientist around the time of Chandrasekhar when he was at at, um, at uh, University of Chicago. So for those who don't remember, he's a Nobel laureate and talked a lot about the evolution and the structure of stars. But Eugene Parker in 1958 wrote a seminal paper predicting 
the solar wind. So before we had actually measured the supersonic solar wind, he wrote a very eloquent, very straightforward paper to predict this. And in fact, this is a paper that I studied in class. Uh, it was extremely accessible. Um, and his work has always been that way um, to a large extent. He has done uh, groundbreaking work in understanding magnetic fields and plasmas in solar atmosphere and the solar wind. He has been one of the pioneers in the whole area of what's called nano flares, which is a uh, one of the prevailing theories for the heating of the corona. Um, and so his body of work, including some of his fundamental uh, works, are uh, really, really important for heliophysics and our understanding of the sun, the solar wind, and other stars. And so it's, it's extremely appropriate that they have decided to name solar probe plus the Parker solar probe because much of the fundamental work that he's done is what we will be addressing with this mission. And Dr. Young, where will you be on launch day and, and how soon will, will we start getting some um, answers to those questions? I will be at the launch. Uh, I am super excited to, to be there. I'm actually uh, working with Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, who is the the primary institution for the whole mission. Uh, they're uh, taking care of running it and, and they've built it you know, for NASA. And I will be there working with their outreach team. I'm bringing my outreach team and we'll be at the, the uh, Kennedy Visitor Center. Um, and then I will be doing some other things uh, for the launch and we'll be there with bated breath waiting for it. Wonderful, bright and early too. It's an early bright launch. and early. It's four in the morning. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be spectacular. It's going to be tough to get up, but it is going to be amazing because seeing this at in basically at night, it's 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 going to be quite a spectacle. Yeah, it should light up the sky, huh? Absolutely. And how soon can we expect to um, receive data um, from the the Parker probe? Um, we're expecting to see results. Hopefully, the first data will be by the end of the year. I know that uh, one of the big meetings of the community is called the American Geophysical Union meeting, or AGU, which is happening in Washington, D.C. at the beginning of December, and they're hoping to have some initial results at that meeting. Wonderful. We've been speaking with NASA heliophysicist Dr. Alex Young. Uh, Dr. Young, thanks so much for chatting with us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. As of this taping, the Parker Solar Probe is scheduled to launch Saturday, August 11th, super, super early, like 4 a.m. early. But guess what? I'll be there. So if you're up, join me on Twitter. I'm at SpaceBrendan. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from our listeners. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more space news online at wmfe.org space. Have a story idea? Space question? Well, email me at arewetheryet at wmfe.org. And while you're at it, be sure to rate and review this podcast so more people can explore exploration with us. Until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.